And I think that's what our mission is, that we are a flower farm, but our mission is a little bit deeper in that we want to connect people with the beauty and wisdom of nature and nourish, have our flowers nourish both body and soul with their beauty. I mean, I think as flower growers, we do feel the energy of the flowers. Like they are so uplifting. A lot of chronic disease comes from these emotional patterns that are our blockages that make us sick and that flowers help us get beyond that. Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing. This is episode 607. This is the weekly podcast about slow flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice. And I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This show is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free online directory to more than 850 florists, shops, and studios who design with local, seasonal, and sustainable flowers, and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, Farm Girl Flowers. Farm Girl Flowers delivers iconic burlap wrap bouquets and lush, abundant arrangements to customers across the U.S., supporting U.S. flower farms by purchasing more than $10 million of U.S.-grown fresh and seasonal flowers and foliage annually. Discover more at farmgrowflowers.com. And thank you to sponsor Cal Flowers, the leading floral trade association in California, providing valuable transportation and other benefits to flower growers and the entire floral supply chain in California and 48 other states. The association is a leader in bringing fresh cut flowers to the U.S. market and in promoting the benefits of flowers to new generations of American consumers. Learn more at CAFGS.org. Well, it's great to be back with you today and to share another inspiring and uplifting conversation about the healing power of plants and the ability of flowers to nurture us, body and soul. My guest today is botanist-turned-farmer-florist Kate Waters of Arizona's Wild Heart Farm. I first met Kate several years ago through the community of florists and flower farmers in Arizona, where I often visited my parents who were living outside of Phoenix. Kate and I connected through her frequent collaborator, Terry Shewitt, owner of Happy Vine Flowers, a Prescott Valley area florist who is also part of the Slow Flowers movement. The women produced a beautiful styled shoot that we published in Florist Review in December of 2019, and I've secretly always wanted them to team up for a desert-inspired botanical couture piece for American Flowers Week. Hint, hint. Kate has an extensive background in botany, ecological restoration, and agriculture, coming to floristry while establishing flower and herb gardens at Orchard Canyon on Oak Creek, a 10-acre destination resort in Sedoma, where she previously worked. Kate transitioned to flower farming full-time when she and her partner, Mike Knapp, found a unique property in Rimrock, Arizona. They knew it could become the heart and home for both of their personal and professional endeavors. As Kate says, after 20 years in the field and wilds of botany and conservation, she wanted nothing more than to grow fields of flowers. Now at Wild Heart Farm, Kate calls her approach to plant-based products and programs flower healing. Plants have so many qualities that bolster emotional and mental wellness, she explains. 
I invited Kate to share more in today's conversation. The second part of this episode features a 12-minute video tour of Wild Heart Farm, which Kate filmed to give us a closer look at this special destination in the high desert. You can find the replay video of today's interview, including that tour, at slowflowerspodcast.com for episode 607. Let's jump right in and get started. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Show with Deborah Prinzing. Today, I am so delighted to welcome Kate Waters. Hi, Kate. Hi, Deborah. It's so great to see you on the screen. I wish we were in person. So good to see you too. Kate is the owner of Wild Heart Farm in Rimrock, Arizona. And um, I have not been to her farm, but I've been to some of the other places where she's uh, grown in the past. So Kate, tell us uh, about Wild Heart and uh, what inspired you to name your business that? And what is the business? Uh, How do you describe it? Okay. Well, our farm, Wild Heart Farm is in Rimrock, which is uh, about 40 minutes southeast of Sedona. Okay. We're near Montezuma as well. And Beaver Creek is our watershed. And uh, what in, it's a one acre farm and we farm about a quarter acre of our neighbor's property. So wow. we are a very small but mighty farm. And um, I think what inspired me to name the farm that is a twofold because one is I was a botanist for about 15, 20 years before I became a flower farmer and I worked in the conservation field. So my first love are wildflowers and wild landscapes. Mm. And this farm is incredibly wild. Mm. It's in a riparian woodland, which is a very rare habitat for Arizona. We have towering ash trees that are over a hundred years old. They are form a huge canopy. We have mulberries. Um, it's an incredibly, we have a, a rock face, like we're on the, this uh, rock cliff that is limestone. And um, we have a lot of hackberry trees. We have just, yeah, it's, and then coyotes. Are oh my gosh. Forming a symphony every night. <laughs> we have owls. And because it's such a productive place, um, And so it really does kind of pay homage to that side of myself and I think the side of of plants that and humans that Mm -hmm. we all really long to be wild. You know, Mm. we we hit like a stasis when we our roots are at the edge of the pot, you know, our roses (laughs) we ramble, you know, and we want to spread our seed. We wanna like, you know, get a little bit um, loose and just follow that thread that we had when we were children. And I, you know, I grew up climbing trees, you know, blowing dandelion seeds and milkweeds in the fields, you know? And so that's, that's what I, Uh, and I think that's what our mission is really is mm -hmm. that we're, we are a flower farm, but we also, our mission is a little bit deeper in that we want to connect um, and people with the beauty and wisdom of nature and nourish, have our flowers nourish, nourish both body and, and soul, mm. um, uh, you know, with their beauty. So mm. yeah. I love that imagery that you just gave, you know, usually people are anthropomorphizing plants, but you, you did the opposite. You gave humans <laughs> a plant trait, like, when we hit the point and our roots are, are, are like root bound and we're trying to jump out of the edge of the pot. I just love that imagery 
Um, it's just, <laughs> it's the botanist in you. You're describing how plants behave and you're attributing those traits to humans. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I think, you know, as a, as a plant's person, as a horticulturist, as a botanist, a plant lover, I mean, we can't help but take so much joy and wisdom and, I mean, honest to goodness, resilience and the mm -hmm. will that plants have to live. I mean, I, I, I torture my plants sometimes beyond what I think is possible and they still can like live sometimes. And I well, just think, yeah. you know, and it's a you're in a, you're in a challenging landscape. I mean, when you talked about being in a riparian forest, that isn't really what people think of when they think of Arizona. So right. is so that we, what drew you, drew you to that land or how did that come about? Well, I mean, honestly, I think it must've been my karmic, you know, life that I was supposed to live because I had, you know, been farming for five years and I was an itinerant farmer farming in different places, people's backyards at, you know, other venues, you know, being hired as a gardener, doing consulting and um, really started to long for a place to root down, feeling like I have completed my apprenticeship. I'm ready to make my own mistakes. <laughs> and right. You know, and so I really started, we started longing and then my partner and I, we started really mind mapping what it was that we were looking for. And we found, you know, uh, ran into a friend at a potluck and she, you know, she's a real estate agent and she said, oh, you know, that's, that's, that's fine. I would love to help you find a place, but we had, you know, so she, she's like, I have the place for you. And she took us around, but it wasn't the place, but then it took you know, that seeing the places that we thought we might want and and then, you know, essentially mapping it out. And the things we didn't map out were like how many acres or any of that. It was just that we want water, we want shade, you know, we want community and we want peace and, you know, and we want a place that we can grow um, and we can both have our businesses because my partner is a naturopathic doctor and also a mindfulness meditation instructor. And so we kind of envisioned that the land would be a retreat, you know, right, right. Yeah, a and healing place, a healing place. And so, uh, then I said to Heather, Oh my God, it was the middle of the growing season. I can't do this anymore. We've got it. I got to keep, you know, working my gardening job. But then she's like, I got the place for you. And literally the minute we walked across this land, it was just, mm. it was perfect. You know, when it was October, all the leaves were changing and as soon as we got here, it was like, oh, it, there's an offer in on it. So, mm. you know, so we had to wait almost two months before we came back around and we were granted the land. Oh, so wow. The other people dropped wow. out. So it was meant to be. But um, I think honestly, you know, to me, because I worked for 15 years killing tamarisk in the Grand Canyon. I mean, literally, I was like leading these armies of volunteers to protect, you know, riparian areas. And so I find it ironic that now I'm a steward of one. So mm, I love it. That's amazing. Yeah. So this micro farm that you have, of course, it also is home to your partner's business and you do on-farm events. So it's really um, like an intimate relationship you have with this parcel. And also it sounds like you're farming on another piece of land. What are you growing and how did you even get it established? Had it, had there been agriculture there before or 
we were very fortunate. The people that we we inherited it from, you know, we bought it from were also they were growing. They had like a hobby farm. And so there was a high tunnel. There was a raised bed garden that wow. has like 12 beds that were already built, like four by eight beds. Um, there were some orchard trees, like a handful of orchard trees. And um, and then, you know, a little Barbie greenhouse, you know, like one of those uh, ones <laughs> from, from, you know, that everyone says, don't buy those. <laughs> the little kit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, we, and then essentially sheds, like, this is my she shed, which is kind of like my, you know, my female, you know, it's like my retreat, you know, where my creative space. Um, but then we had a shed that we turned into a cool bot. Wow. Um, so another blank shed. Um, and then there was a, sh- a shed, but it was like basically a glorified shed. It's, it's Mike's man cave, which <laughs> he turned in his office. And so he has, you know, he can see his um, clients. Um, basically, he sees clients online here, and then he has a clinic in Flagstaff. Mm, mm-hmm. So he only has to commute two days a week. I see. But, you know, he's like he grew up, like his dream was to have a library. Well, now he has a place to put all his books. <laughs> So it's like we all won, you know, the lottery, really. Um, You know, there's, of course, there was no irrigation, Um, you know, all all the things, you know, that you go through when you first, but we got the farm in spring of 2020. And then, of course, COVID. Wow. What a place to hang out, though, during the pandemic, right? It really was. I mean, we were sheltering on a beautiful ship, you know, um, Earth ship. And we were so lucky. And it really helped us really bond with the land and in some ways helped me start out slower. That's true. Yeah. All my events were canceled. And, you know, I had to start by just rooting and growing. And that's actually, we were, we got a $10,000 grant from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to create pollinator habitat. And honest to goodness, that was, that was the project for that year. So that was the first plantings that you did then. Yeah. I mean, we planted the high tunnel and I planted the raised beds and, you know, that was a lot, you know, and then my sister got stranded here um, because through COVID, because she was planning to go back out east with our family and she, she was a te- she's a teacher. So she got stuck here and then it just now it's her regular summer vacation is to come here. And work here. So you talked about your events um, being postponed or canceled prior to this move to your land in Rimrock, you had a business called Agave Maria, which I also really love the name. That's when I first met you when you joined Slow Flowers and you really were focused on wedding and event design, um, some growing, but most of your creative uh, business was producing weddings and designing flowers for weddings and events. Is that correct? That is. yeah. Yeah. So that's how, I mean, I felt like that was a really good way for me to start was you know, doing weddings. And I just did a handful of weddings, maybe like eight to 10 weddings a year. And I was working at a farm to table venue and I was the gardener. So they allowed, you know, I actually got the chef really involved in edible flowers and he got me involved in like growing really awesome, you know, herbs and like the weirdest foods and the, you know, the really fun chefy things that, and, and the high, high heat, chilies, things now that I can't live without. Oh, I love it. So, you know, so then 
I was like, oh, this is great. I'm working at a wedding venue. Why don't I just try this out? So I was able to really dip my toe into that and, um, and recruit my friend Terry, who we worked at Whipstone together as interns. And we, you know, so we just, I, and I literally had a shed and, you know, and a refrigerator and I, you know, did weddings for wow. uh, three years like that. Um, wow. What a great, just- yeah. What a great introduction to have this, a bit of a, like a, a support system to, launch this part of your creative creative process I love it it's prepared you for what you're doing now yeah and I I I think I always had an idea that I would love to have my own farm but that was part of it was realizing you know working at a place and then having to commute every day and um you know it's just that's really challenging I mean just the dream is to wake up you know with your coffee and and go out and (laughs) Although rarely yes. it's like my coffee's cold. <laughs> and I'm on like a corner post somewhere. And I'm like, what did I, what was I doing? I'm I know. Like, I, that's how I feel about garden tools. They're all over the place. Um, how far was it, well, was that commute or for you now in Rimrock, roughly how far is it from where you were located earlier? Were you closer to Sonoma or Sedona? Um, yeah, yeah, we were closer. So we were in Oak Creek Canyon, which is another beautiful riparian area and a canyon. Um, so that was a fabulous place to grow. And, um, that's about an hour North of here, but you have to drive all the way through Sedona to get there. Oh, uh-huh. Um, and then you have to wind up the Canyon. So that was another reason I, you know, I mean, I kind of went cold Turkey and I just quit my job and I wasn't planning to start a business, you know, I mean, I had my wedding business, but I wasn't start planning to like start a farm and, quit my job. I thought I'd kind of keep doing that. But then I realized there's no way I could take care of an acre, have a flower design business and, you know, go and take care of all these, you know, places. Garden, garden over an hour away. Yeah. I love that. Uh, the reason I asked about the proximity is it sounds like your market really hasn't changed. You're still serving this greater area of people who come for weddings and events to this lovely area of Arizona, the Sedona Canyon. Is it a canyon? Sedona and like Oak Creek Canyon and then Flagstaff. I still Mm. actually, there are quite a few wedding venues in Flagstaff as well that Mm -hmm. I work with. And yeah, it's been a little bit of an adjustment. I think anybody who has, you know, made this, you know, trek where you've started a new community and you're farming in a new town uh, it's challenging. I mean, yeah. I lived in uh, Flagstaff for 25 years, so that's where my people are. Yeah. And when, you know, when you're growing and you're selling, I mean, that's how you get your word out, you know? So, and then during COVID, it was hard to kind of get the word out here. And I think it still is, I'm still learning how to do that, you know, mm. to reach my mm-hmm. neighbors. Mm-hmm. Well, you talked about um, Terry, our friend from, from Happy Vine, and Terry is also a Slow Flowers member. You guys have collaborated on a lot of design projects. I remember we published one of your styled shoots in Florist Review. Um, well, that was what, maybe in 2018 or 2019. Mm-hmm. And it was so great to see how you interpreted local flora, you know, through the the desert, basically, the desert landscape. Yeah. And Terry, you know, Terry is such an ally and she's really my, I mean, she's my head floor. I mean, head florist, you know, when I need, <clears throat> you know, I mean, like the other day I, she came and did a wedding and she was like, 
received whatever flowers we were getting from other places, whipped out five bridal book, you know, bridesmaids <laughs> bouquets. And, you know, she's just, she's a professional, you know, mm. cause she, but she's also, you know, her heart and soul is a gardener and yeah. we're, you know, and, and actually all the women on my team are like that. Mm. So, mm. um, they are multifaceted. I have, you know, another woman who is a, you know, who is a gardener and she grows a lot of cactus and succulents and Terry does as well. And, um, and then my apprentice, Sarah is a school gardener and, um, you know, working with, you know, getting kids, you know, schools and she's also a chef. So we really like bring all of that together. Like when I'm doing any event, it's like Sarah's bringing eucalyptus from her yard. Terry's bringing hellebores. Danny's bringing succulents and, you know, and it's just really cool. It's all coming you know? together. And then Whipstone Farm, you know, I still buy flowers from Whipstone when I need, uh, you know, support for bigger events. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. Well, people who uh, have been reading our Slow Flowers Journal will have seen that uh, we mentioned you in a couple sort of insights for our forecast for 2023. And that that sort of what led to this podcast is that we just, you, you, I threw out a qu- bunch of questions in an email and you responded and told me some of the things that you've been doing at Wild Heart, including these sort of um, health-based and wellness and natural um, kind of plant, plant inspired, um, events and products. And I don't know if you can just sort of summarize where you're at with that. And listening to you talk about your land with so much love, it's the natural extension to see how you're integrating the plants you grow into everything you're doing, uh, personally and professionally. Yeah. I think that's like the journey that plants have taken me on, you know, honestly in my life. Um, because I did, I did really feel cared for by the natural world when I was a child. Um, that was my refuge. Mm. And so, um, I think, you know, and then just traipsing around over so many years and now to be so intimate with a place is very different. And I think that's, you know, one of the things that, I think I told myself when, okay, you, you receive this land, um, part of the job is, and is to really do right by the place and, mm. and honor every stem that comes from this place. Because I think that when, when we look at the industry, you know, of, of the flower industry, I mean, farming in general, but if we just even look at flowers, it is, it is such a relentless, um, way that we, we, that we, what we want to take from the land, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, the way, the number of stems, when I think about all the stems that are grown, you think about all that St. John's war. And I mean, the Smilex, everything, where is it coming from? How does it keep people growing it? You know, right. You think it would be, you think it would be finite, but it's apparently not, Right. you know, and it's like still needs to be produced. And so, for me, that is one of the things that we, with the farm and, and sort of is, is that everything sort of does, because we have such a small amount of space, every flower that we grow, the choices that we make are very specific to, well, how can this plant also offer multiple purposes? Like a calendula flower, you know, is going to be a wonderful cut flower, you know, it makes as a dried flower, you know, it's, it's great as well. Like the petals can be used and eaten in salads. Um, it can be used as a skincare product because it's really good for healing the skin and so many different levels, but it's also an amazing gut healing plant. Hmm. 
Wow. So, um, yeah. So like, that's just one example. And, you know, so that's kind of how we came into, you know, thinking about, and then of course the pollinators love it. So, um, so one of the checks, all the boxes, it checks all the boxes. (laughs) So we really try to think, okay, we're not just going to grow eucalyptus. If I can go forage a eucalypt, there's like five eucalyptus plants that I know of, including Sarah's, you know, and that are within 20 minutes of here that I can keep rotating around and I can mindfully harvest it, you know, and I have permission. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so why grow it? Yeah. Yeah. Instead of growing it. So that's kind of how we have done that. But I guess, you know, to get a little bit more in depth about, um, the other thing that we've been doing is, um, so we make a few different kinds of products. We make, um, uh, tulse like tinctures, which are basically an alcohol extraction of an herb. Um, so holy basil, um, but then there are also a few other mixtures that blends that, um, uh, that we make. Um, and, you know, that's kind of one of my flagship. I love that holy basil. It's just a beautiful plant. It doesn't make a great cut flower, but often what I'm doing in my CSA is if I offer Tulsi and, you know, holy basil in it, I say, look, this is going to wilt pretty fast, but you can just dry it out, you know, enjoy it for a day or two, dry it out and then make it into a tea. Mm. So, um, so you're educating your customers about sort of the, the visual beauty and the, uh, natural wellness component of, one variety that you're growing. Yeah. So oftentimes, you know, sometimes we say, yeah, your whole bouquet can be turned upside down and dried and you can make, you know, vinegar extracts out of it and that sort of thing. So, you know, that's another way is like, honoring the life of the plants, you know, I think is just a really important mantra for, for me, Um, you know, just that, you know, okay, this is the cost of growing something to the land, to our own bodies, to, you know, what it takes with the water, you know, that's so precious here. Um, You know, we have to kind of find a way to make the, the, help the flowers live multiple lives. And so that's what we, we end up doing. And so right now I'm really also um, with the healing is of the flowers. I mean, every flower does have like its unique, subtle healing qualities, whether as a flower essence as well, which it goes back to very, you know, early times that, you know, basically you're just making an infusion in water and sunlight. And it's just a very subtle, emotional, um, energetic boost that the flower offers you. So after our flood here, we made a daffodil essence and because the daffodils were honestly, it's, I mean, basically every year I buy a couple hundred daffodils of some different, fun, double, weird, fun, smelly, you know, all the types Mm -hmm. early, late, you know, so we now I, you know, we have a really nice mix of daffodils and they were just cheering us on. It just felt like they were just they stood right back up after the flood. Wow. I mean, we were under a foot and a half of water and they were just plastered down and their faces were dirty, but they (laughs) sprung back up. And I was just like, okay, these need to, these are our medicine right now. And I, and I looked it up because I kind of kept feeling that, you know, I mean, I think as florists, you know, as flower growers, we do feel the energy of the flowers. Like they are so uplifting, you know, and and they do offer us those things. And I mean, the person, um, Bach, who started Flower Essences, um, he was a studied chronic disease. And he found that, you know, a lot of chronic disease comes from these emotional patterns that mm. are, are blockages that make wow. us sick. Wow. And that flowers help us 
get beyond that. Wow. You're talking about something that's been like centuries old, this this yeah. research. 1800s. Wow. He was out gathering the dew from flowers and making it into medicine for his patients who were really sick in England. Wow. Uh, you referred to the flood, so let's just talk about that. Is this been your? This was just last month, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Is, the spring equinox. Oh my goodness! Was this just your uh, worst weather incident since you've lived at a Wild Heart? Or I mean, is this like a seasonal thing that just everyone's kind of expects and is used to? Well, it's interesting. We actually had a flood last fall as well. And that one was our house, which is actually on high ground. So we are located in the floodplain. Beaver Creek is across the street from us. Um, So only like 500 feet away. Um, But we're, you know, so it basically what happened um, this the this spring was that our watershed is Flagstaff and that was basically covered in snow. I mean, they've gotten record, I mean, 15 feet of snow or something crazy like that record snowfall with a warm day and or two warm days with rain. So rain and rain and rain on top of snow. And normally, I mean, yeah, nine feet at the gauge USGS. So it, just pummeled us and it pummeled. I mean, we are lucky at this time. It didn't hit our house. Um, it hit my flower cooler, our, our she shed. Um, and it, you know, no other buildings were impacted. It was just basically like mud in here and we had to clean everything up and oh. then our crops, you know, yeah. um, in on the ac- the ac- the quarter acre were all submerged and they were submerged for almost two full days uh, in about a foot and a half of water and all the soil is was there the plants were there i mean i thought the worst i mean a whole log that is i mean was this giant tree that we had to cut down that was sawed in half and all these rounds that we had around our fire pit floated away it was like a river we had to wow. evacuate I mean, it was crazy. I thought the worst, and I ha- and the, they all broke through the fence. Luckily, and was were able to kind of like let the debris, you know, because we share basically the other side of the floodplain with with Beaver Creek. Because is what I realize now. I mean, you're sitting here, it's like <laughs> the creek's over there. Well, the creek probably used to be over here thousands of years ago. Got it. You know? So its natural course might be on the other side of your property. But those daffodils, that's just such a resilient story. Like they they endured standing water for two days, plus just this flooding kind of motion and, and where you were still able to make tinctures out of them at the end once you started digging out of the of the aftermath of the flood. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, and it was, it was so good. I mean, I do want to share with your listeners. I mean, we host woofers here, willing workers on organic farms. Even though we do have you know, some employees and, you know, and I'm really lucky to be able to hire employees now. Um, last year was the first year that I did that. Um, this is our fourth season. So it's, it's, it takes a lot to kind of get to that point, you know? Right. Um, and the, the, I mean, having, we had two woofers here and I mean, they literally were just so amazing because we all had to evacuate. So, I mean, and they were like living in their cars or a tent or their RVs and it was really scary, you know? And so going through that, you know, having these people with us and then we evacuated to one of my CSA members, (laughs) 
higher she land. All of us, like in her driveway, and like for two nights. It was so oh my, sweet. Oh my but, goodness! But you know, it's um, it it really is like the woofers really make our world here. Um, so much of a, of a, a really interesting and wonderful place because what, what we're starting to see is that, I mean, this land does innately have like a magical quality mm. to it. I think just because of the, where it's located. And like I said, like these trees aren't everywhere. Yeah. And so special, you know, having, and now we have a pollinator habitat. So it's like monarchs are flitting around and you have, you know, trees blooming of all kinds and birds and and that sort of thing. So, you know, having the woofers and like literally, I mean, we had just done all this work and it was washed away literally. Wow. And the wow. next day, I mean, they're just rolling up their sleeves. Well, what an and- introduction to flower farming that they got to experience, <laughs> you know, that okay, this isn't just skipping through the, you know, the wildflower meadow. This is this is the grit that is needed to succeed in this profession. That's yeah. And just to just sobering. It is. It's sobering. And I think, you know, what a lot of us are finding um, with farming and during this really dynamic change that we're in is that these things are more extreme, these events, and they're more frequent. So yeah, yeah well, we might've had a flood every five years. Well, now we're going to have a flood in October and then we're going to have one in March. And I don't know if we'll have one again, you know, I mean, when the next one is, but it's also helps me start. I think in a lot of ways, I'm grateful for this flood because it showed me before I do too much more. I mean, Deborah, honestly, I, that morning, since it was spring equinox, I called our real estate friend who's, who helped us with this and had a verbal agreement with the owner to, to, that he said he would sell us the land, but I didn't know how much to offer him. So I said, can you research this for me? And literally two hours later, she was texting me, I'm on it. I'm looking at it, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, hold the phone. It is like flooding, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know what I'm buying here. (laughs) I don't know what I'm buying. So honestly, this is for that other part, the other parcel that you farm on. I mean, our land flooded as well, um, but it was primarily, our our land is about half in the floodplain. So. Wow. A lot of our like high tunnel is out of the floodplain. Mike's off. Mike's office was a little bit impacted. So like half our farm is in the floodplain. Our house is up like up high, but we got flooded from behind because oh. of adjacent land. So it's just very interesting, you know, to to deal with these challenges. And for me, it was like I, because I'm a no-till farmer, it was really encouraging to see that all the soil was there. Right. That I picked up on that when you mentioned that the the st- soil and the plantings were, I, I don't know, just had this connection to either excellent root systems or just the way that you have not tilled. So you've not disturbed all of that native soil maybe helped, right? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, I, I had, I didn't start out by saying that Kate is filming a video tour of her farm to share with us. So it will either be at the beginning or the end of this conversation. We'll figure that out later. Hang in there with us listeners and viewers, but, um, you have a couple things coming up later this year, actually pretty soon, a, a really fun event I want to talk about. And then um, you have a reading you're going to share with us before yes. we wrap up. So um, tell us about this uh, collaboration you're doing with an art, another arts group. 
Yeah. So um, the 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 festival is called um, Art X, and it's an inter. It's basically uh, it's through the creative. Um, Creative uh, Flagstaff nonprofit, which is an arts organization in Flagstaff. And their whole concept was to bring together what if we had this in- invited all of these proposals? They they basically got funding from the arts to invite all of these different realms to come together with proposals to pair them all over downtown Flagstaff in one weekend. Oh my goodness. Do basically awesome. like, you know, just this this to create this energy around what is X, X meaning exponential potential. And also just the intersection. Too the of, intersection. Yeah. yeah. Of say, so for our proposal, we're called, we called it. And so this is, you know, and we, we were talking about Terry yeah. and happy, the happy vine. So Terry, you know, Terry's whole thing is cultivating the 21st century flower power. And so we do that together often, you know, in these types of events where we can really showcase local flowers and we can really get our creativity to um, to reach, like to have content behind us. So this blooming from the ashes concept that um, I came up with Terry and another friend who's an ecologist and a, a former collaborator with me and artist and aerial pole dancer um, that we are bringing together sort of these concepts to really examine sort of the the reality of climate change and fire in Flagstaff Mm -hmm. and like living in this time where we're actually, you know, um, we're, we're looking at a legacy of how we've treated the forest. And now we're in this really acute stage of living with the fires, living with the aftermath of the fires, the loss, the grief, the challenges and how can we bring the community together around that with flowers, poetry, song, dance, and, and really kind of tell that story. So we have like six acts of these aerial dancers on a, on a pole at this main stage theater, the Orpheum theater. And um, we have a poet who is a friend who's a street poet who I met in Santa Cruz when I was farming. And like, we've had these fun little, interludes just random and he also wrote a poem for molly when she graduated from you know her uh graduate degree so it's really fun that kevin devaney is involved as well so he's going to be our mc so we're going to basically create this flower installation on the stage to help you know and an altar and a you know a whole I mean, it's, it's going it sounds on. crazy. It's crazy. It's I, I, I was starting to think, how can I get photos of this and do a story about it? But I feel like maybe it needs to be like still photography won't do it justice. It needs to be well, filmed. The good, yeah. The good thing is, and I, I hope we will be able to share this with, um, with your community because, um, it is going to be filmed by Ardex. And so we will get some live, hopefully some footage. Of oh my it gosh. Oh, let's plan on that. Yeah, we're really hoping, um, and it's like that trusting the faith, the faith of like I'm even a nursery is like is helping us with plants, so we're gonna have actual live plants, and the whole idea is we're gonna put some live plants and trees in the audience, so people are in the forest, so that we really blend the stage, and then we're having fire twirlers to help tell the story, and yeah. It's, oh my gosh! I mean, it's just cool when you get all these, and it's, so that's the whole thing, you know, when you get these people together, um, then, then the ideas just really, they do bloom. They do become exponentially more interesting, you know? Well, and and it's just, it's just who you are, Kate. You are committed (laughs) to community and committed to 
place. And, you know, it's just, you're an artist. So it's all, it's lovely to see it all come together. What are the date of that or the weekend? I think it's May 24th. Okay, great. Scary that it's coming up so soon. Right. But. Well, we're going to share the the uh, link and all of those details in our show notes. I was just thinking too, when you said Santa Cruz, uh, about the essay you wrote about selling flowers for Valentine's Day in Santa Cruz that we published, oh, several years ago. I'm going to share that too. Oh, thank you. Your writing yes. is amazing. It's just, what a, what a, I can picture that exact moment when, when, of, of the way you described that <laughs> depressing experience and what you drew from that. So yeah, it, it I mean, will, it will resonate with people. Yeah, I think it will, because I think a lot of times we have these past lives that we don't, understand sometimes like they're they feel very meandering like for me it does feel very meandering at times like I'm what am I doing and I mean but art has always been and writing always has been there as a thread you know and and flat like earth you know yeah um but yeah it's like the things you do sometimes and you're like how is this going to relate to my life but yeah okay I am going to be unloading a semi in an alley full of roses that's just in in Las Vegas, you know. Oh, was it Las Vegas? Okay. I um I often say to myself, it, I don't know why this is happening now, but it will be revealed to me at some point in the future why I had yes. to go through this experience. And I guess that's uh, a better way to live than just feeling like woe is me, <laughs> you know, right. when weird stuff happens. Exactly. You're uh, like, okay, well, this will make a good story. Sometime. Yeah. Well, I want to leave enough time for uh, your okay. video. So um, let's let's wrap up with what uh, a reading you thought you would share, which I think is so appropriate. Let's putting us into the 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 idea of accepting muses from a lot of different art genres. Yes. Yeah, so this is from this book. The Journals of May Sarton, journals, uh, Journal of a Solitude. And I opened it up. This is the first entry, and it's the second paragraph. And she's a gardener. She's a poet. And she's talking about it's September 15th, and it's in New England. And so she's talking about the last bouquet of the season. Hmm. On my desk, small pink roses. Strange how often the autumn roses look sad. Fade quickly. Frost browned at the edges. But these are lovely, bright singing pink. On the mantle, in the Japanese jar, two sprays of white lilies, recurved, maroon pollen on the stamen, and a branch of peony leaves turned a strange pinkish brown. It is an elegant bouquet, shibui, the Japanese would call it. When I am alone, the flowers are really seen. I can pay attention to them. They are felt as presences. Without them, I would die. Why do I say that? Partly because they change before my eyes. They live and die in a few days. They keep me closely in touch with process, with growth, and also with dying. I am floated on their moments. Mm. What a beautiful universal truth. Thank you so much for reading that. Yes. I th- it's just great to feel grounded in uh, why we do what we do. And yes. uh, this isn't just an enterprise to pay the bills. Yes, it's that, but it can't be just that. It's got to have this deeper kind of mission and meaning and purpose. And I sense that so much in what you're doing. Thank you so much, Kate. This has been a beautiful conversation and I oh, can't wait to you. share it. 
<laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Deborah. It's you been bet. such a pleasure. Oh, I know. We could just keep going, but we'll stop for now. <laughs> Take care. And I'm so excited that you have the video to share. And we'll we'll edit that into the final uh, project and or product. And um, good luck with your event. That sounds really wonderful. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us today. I'll also share more photos of Wild Heart Farm and links to some of the resources Kate and I discussed in our show notes at slowflowerspodcast.com for episode 607. Thank you to sponsor Store It Cold, creators of the revolutionary CoolBot, a popular solution for flower farmers, studio florists, and farmer florists. If you watch the video tour that Kate filmed for us, you'll see a good example of her CoolBot. You can save thousands when you build your own walk-in cooler with the CoolBot system and an air conditioner. If you don't have time to build your own, they also have turnkey units available. Learn more at storeitcold.com. And a reminder that tomorrow is our free webinar for Southern States flower growers. You're invited to join Slow Flowers and Johnny's Selected Seeds uh, tomorrow, April 27th, 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern. I'll be co-hosting the session with Johnny Seeds Flower Product Manager, Hilary Alger, for our discussion on what it means to grow flowers in the challenging climactic conditions of the southern United States. Our guest panel of experienced Slow Flowers members are cut flower growers from Florida, North Carolina, and Texas. We'll hear from them about their farming stories as they discuss regional growing challenges, lessons learned, and their favorite varieties of flowers. You'll meet and learn from Rita Anders of Cuts of Color in Weimar, Texas, Eileen Tongson of Farm Gal Flowers in Orlando, Taj and Victoria Cotton of Cotton Picked in Pittsburgh, North Carolina, and Julia Keel of Full Keel Farm in Fort White, Florida. The webinar is free. You can find the sign-up link in our show notes today for episode 607. I also have it posted in the menu at uh, our Instagram, Slow Flower Society. I hope to see you there. Our final sponsor thank you goes to Red Twig Farms. Based in Johnstown, Ohio, Red Twig Farms is a family-owned farm specializing in peonies, daffodils, tulips, and branches, a popular peony bouquet by mail program, and their Spread the Hope campaign where customers purchase 10 tulip stems for essential workers and others in their community. Learn more at redtwigfarms.com. Thanks so much for joining me today. The Slow Flowers Podcast is a member-supported endeavor, downloaded more than 1 million times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of our domestic cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. If you're new to our weekly show or our long-running podcast, check out all of our resources at slowflowerssociety.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of The Slow Flowers Show and The Slow Flowers Podcast. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization next week, you're invited to join me in putting more slow flowers on the table, one stem, one vase at a time. Thanks so much for joining us today, and I'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.